Well, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, we are still here in this passage. And we just have one, one verse today, and I'll explain why that is. So in this section, as, as I'm reminding you repeatedly every week, that this section is really a, a compact summary of what a healthy church is. So if you ever find yourself looking for a, a healthy church, this would be a great section of Scripture to, to pay attention to, to look at these things. How does the church view leadership? Who are the leaders? Uh, what are they doing? Uh, what is the response of the people to them? How are the people involved in each other's lives? Are they speaking truth to each other? Are they encouraging each other from the Scripture and helping one another? We saw that last week. And then there's a few instructions about the worship service that we'll get to next week. But today, uh, I think, is the most challenging verse, possibly in the letter, uh, for many of us. For many of us. Let me read that. First Thessalonians 5, verse 15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all people. And so the other instructions in this letter are, by comparison, easy to follow. It's, it's easier to encourage someone that's weaker or that's struggling in the faith. Uh, it's easier to uh, just submit to godly leadership in the church or in the home or in other places. Um, it's easy to cultivate Christian friendships with other sincere believers, even the way Paul did with these Christians in the first three chapters we saw that his relationship with them but I would argue it's much harder to respond appropriately when someone is an evildoer uh, as the text says here someone giving you evil someone who is who is an active evildoer in your life right how do we respond to that person uh, that's often the most challenging situation that we we find ourselves in and even though there's only one text here on that subject, uh, it's a very common teaching in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Both the, the law of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount and also the law of the Jews uh, that's still applicable in many ways for us in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, all speak about this issue of revenge uh, and how we are to treat others who sin against us. And this week, this, this subject has been really heavy on my heart because I know for a fact, I know for a fact that many people in this room, if not the majority of us, have this as an active issue. That there is someone in our life that is actively committing evil against us. Or there is someone that has severely wounded us in the past. And we just don't know how we can recover from that. We find ourselves estranged from people we love. Uh, we find ourselves at the end of a long line of conflicts that's just deteriorated and intensified until now our relationship is just br completely broken. Or maybe we find ourselves stuck. We are stuck with someone that is just dead set on committing evil against us. It may not be this epic level of committing murder or, or stealing all of our possessions, but just the day-to-day ripping down uh, of, our, of our character, 
uh, persistently spreading lies about us, uh, tearing us down through little insults, just constant, constant, constant insults. How are we to respond when we find ourselves in that situation? Well, God has not left us without any counsel. Uh, he has provided us clear instructions in this, in this passage here and also the rest of Scripture as well. And this sermon will be a little different. We will look certainly at this text here, verse 15, but we'll, we'll pull back a little bit and survey all of what the Bible teaches on this topic. When we find ourselves in a situation when we're, we're very tempted to respond and return evil for evil. And so we'll examine this teaching in three parts. The first, for our first uh, consideration, we want to think about the situation itself. And so you may find yourself a little bit m- removed from this. You could be in the midst of it now, but, but maybe you find yourself pretty far removed. Maybe this is a, a thing of the distant past, or maybe you have had a, a relatively peaceful upbringing, a relatively peaceful marriage so far, and this might be in the future for you. And so before we get to God's counsel, we really, really want to take it seriously. We want to take the situation seriously. Uh, what exactly is this situation that's being addressed? And so this situation is when someone is committing a malicious evil act against you. Okay, so it's not just generic suffering when we find ourselves with a health issue or we find ourselves in financial trouble. It's when there is someone in our lives that is, for, what, for some reason, dead set on, on bringing suffering and evil into our lives. Someone even that may be delighting in our suffering. And this is the world we live in. Uh, that's just a reality. I think we really begin by acknowledging the reality of that in our world. The Bible says that man is a hopeless doer of evil. At the very beginning of Scripture, we read that the evil of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, so that's God's diagnosis on humanity. Far before modern civilization far before the time of Christ, even far before uh, the nation of Israel, within a few generations, the earth had become so corrupt that God could say that man is a hopeless doer of evil to the degree that every intent, every thought, every meditation in his heart was only evil continually. And man hasn't changed, and he won't change, we're told. He won't change until Christ returns to establish his kingdom. It says in in Revelation that even after God brings all these plagues and starts to repay the world for its evil and brings uh, horrible uh, plagues and and suffering and wars into the world to try to uh, convince man to finally turn from his sin, it says that man will refuse, he will still refuse God. He will still refuse to obey God's law And it says they will not repent of their murders or sorceries or sexual immoralities or of their thefts. And so we just have to acknowledge that. We have to not be so surprised, right? When we meet evil in the world, the scripture says this this is the world we're in, right? We live here. The people we interact with, um, we may struggle to see really how 
evil they are, but just think about how many restraints God has placed on us, on the world. Okay, we have the police. So, for example, Orland this morning is not a bloodbath. It's not a war zone in part because we have police. So praise God for that. But that's a restraint. Uh, There's also the restraint of conscience. God has given us a conscience to restrain us from really committing all the evil that we would otherwise. And so God has in his mercy in many places of the world put these restraints on people, right? So we do not see the full manifestation of evil. Often evil is uh, in the dark, right? In our homes where no one else sees. That's where a lot of the evil happens in our culture uh, because at least we have uh, a measure of common decency in public now, but it's not that way in other parts of the world, even if you're following the news. Uh, there are some places in the world where those restraints are, are lifting, right? God is lifting those restraints, and in those places, you see what mankind is capable of. And we just have to acknowledge that we will all be deeply wounded in this world. Uh, we have to acknowledge that and prepare ourselves for that. Uh, I can promise you that you will be deeply wounded in your marriage. You'll be deeply wounded by your children. You'll be deeply wounded in the church. At some point, someone in the church might even offend you, break your trust, betray you to some degree. Uh, This will happen in the world. And there's all sorts of evil that could be committed against us. The man has no shortage of ways to injure his neighbor. He insults his neighbor. He lies under oath. He destroys the reputation of his friends. He tears down his companions with harsh and humiliating speech. He threatens weaker people around him and manipulates them into, into serving him like slaves. He robs his neighbor through unethical and shrewd business practices. He drags his neighbor into court without cause. He rebels against good and godly authority. He neglects those he ought to care for. He abuses God's good gift of marriage in many ways as well. And man, he is capable of mindless and shocking acts of evil against the innocent. People betray an intimate trust. For a long period of time, we may have a dear friend where we trust them and they trust us. Then five years in, all of a sudden, there's this severe, striking, surprising betrayal. Uh, That's a reality. The testimony of Scripture is that man is a doer of evil. And especially if someone is not born again, if they're not a Christian, if they haven't been transformed by the power of the gospel, uh, we we can't expect a whole lot. We can't expect a whole lot. And this is often our our trouble, is when we meet evil in our lives, we think, how do I get, how do I get them to change? Uh, Help. Help me change them. (laughs) We can pray for them to change. You know, I'll pray for them to change, but we can't promise that. But what God does promise, okay, is the grace and the power to be godly, to be God's man or God's woman in that difficult situation. But this is a reality that we will experience great pain in our relationships and that we will say, like David, 
Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That's from Psalm 41. And the Lord Jesus was the same. Uh, He picked 12 men and poured into their lives for three years. One of them stabbed him in the back. One of them was a traitor. And so this is the the reality of evil. This is the situation uh, that this text speaks of when we are not only in a difficult relationship, but possibly in in an atrocious act of evil that's being committed against us. What is the natural response? So what is the natural response to evil? Second, let's consider what, what the natural response to this situation is. How does the world respond to this when they are deeply offended by an act of evil against them? What is the fierce temptation that we'll meet here? Well, it's obviously retaliation. That we'll be tempted in that moment to, to repay evil for evil like the text says. You know, you injure me, I'm going to get back at you. Uh, You caused suffering, you betrayed me. I'm going to now plan and plot against you to not only repay you an equal amount of suffering, but even double it or exceed it. I want my pound of flesh, right? Revenge starts welling up in the heart. Revenge says, I will get the upper hand. I'll have my day in court. I'll make you regret you ever did that to me. And so day by day, Someone in this condition will descend into darkness. The heart will just continue to meditate and turn over on those hurts until the heart gets darker, 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 darker. The heart will plan and plot all sorts of ways. Imagine uh, images of the evildoer suffering. Right? It's like drinking poison that we, we eventually, if we don't catch ourselves, if we give in to revenge, we may end up being worse than the person that we are angry at. Uh, that, that is a real possibility, and that's even in Scripture. In the book of Genesis, uh, if you remember, there's the story where Jacob was moving around with his family, and he had 12 sons and, and a few daughters, And when they arrived in one city, his daughter Dinah went out to mingle with the inhabitants. And that wasn't that wasn't a good thing, uh, obviously, because they were not they were not godly people. And she um, met a man named Shechem and he violated her. Okay, we don't have to elaborate on that. He violated her and her brothers found out about this. And so how would you feel if this happened to your sister or your daughter? Uh, you would be you would be angered, and that's understandable. There's a sense of justice, and there's a sense where anger has a proper place in the administration of justice. It it er, it it is an energy that propels us to solve problems and to keep and enforce justice. But but that's not what the brothers did. What did the brothers do? Well, it says that they tricked the inhabitants of this city. And they said, oh, okay, you can marry her, and we'll live here, and we will be your best friends. But just do one thing for us. Uh, We want you all to be circumcised, because we're not allowed to be friends with people that aren't circumcised. And so the men said, well, okay, fine, we'll we'll do that. Uh, Well, after they did this, they um, they were injured 
obviously a full-grown man, going through that. And the brothers took the opportunity at that time to murder every male person in that village. So they murdered people that had nothing to do with their conflict. Uh, Every male, it could have said every man, but it doesn't say every man, it says every male. So they very possibly could have murdered children in response to this act. And so we can see, were they justified in having a measure of anger against this crime? Well, yeah. Were they justified in, in wanting justice to be done? Well, yeah. But what happened when they gave into that revenge? You see, they went way beyond what justice would require. They went far beyond the, the demands of justice. They became monsters. Uh, listen to what God says about that episode. It says, Cursed be their anger, referring to Simeon and Levi, the men who did this. Cursed be their anger, for it is strong, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And that's why God prohibits acts of personal revenge all throughout Scripture, is that we, as, as fallen, unredeemed people, we're not fully redeemed yet, we have this tendency to just way overshoot what justice requires. And so for that reason, the law says, and it's always said, you shall not take vengeance. This is from Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice that there's the prohibition against physical acts of revenge, okay, the external, but there's also a prohibition against the internal attitude. You shall not even bear a grudge. So God was telling his people, even when someone wrongs you, I forbid you from sitting in your bed and meditating on that hurt. I forbid that. That's a grudge. That's keeping anger against someone. You should seek justice from the law, from the official authorities, if you can. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes you will not be fully satisfied. And so God forbids us to nurse grudges, to harbor grudges in our heart toward other people. On the other hand, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. He commands that. And so the question naturally becomes to us, what will you do? So we'll all find ourselves in this situation. We'll all be deeply wounded, even by a Christian, even by a Christian that we trust, has had a long history of, of being our dear friend and companion and a loyal friend. We could find ourselves in this way, in this situation. And you'll be tempted, like, like people are tempted every day in our world, to descend into the bottomless pit of personal revenge. And so it's here where we can finally come to the text. Okay, we've considered the situation that we'll find ourselves in. We've considered the temptation. We'll, we'll want to repay evil for evil. And so what is God's word to us when we find ourselves in that condition? And so we can come now to the commands. What commands does God give to us when we find ourselves in this place? And I think it's, it's worth, even before we get to those commands, to acknowledge that what we're about to discuss will sound absolutely 
insane to you. It, it, will, it will not make any sense to you unless you've been born again, right? Unless you're a Christian, this will, this will be, you, you'll think, oh, what's the, what are you really saying? What's the real meaning? It'll just be this dark proverb to you, what we're about to discuss. A dead soul can't do anything good, much less against someone that's sinned against them greatly. A man writing long ago, Cotton Mather, he said, Indeed, no good works can be done by any man until he be justified, until a man be united unto the glorious Christ, who is our life. He is a dead man. And I ask, what good works can be expected from such a man? They will all be dead works. For the Savior says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so that's from John 15, where, where Christ said, without me, without being joined to me, you can't do anything that I'm commanding you. So there's this need for us to, to think about and embrace this truth that we're in union with Christ. And it's Christ who's providing the life and the ability to do what we're talking about, to love people that have deeply wounded us. Right? But if we are Christians, that means we have that ability, that we really do have that ability to love people, even difficult people. So what's the first command? Verse 15, it says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil. The first command is to stop. It's just plain and simple. Stop. If you are seeking revenge against someone, if you are in this place now, and you call Christ your Lord, you need to immediately stop planning for revenge against someone in your life. Uh, you need to hold your tongue, right? You need to cancel your plans. Uh, you need to see that you don't repay anyone evil for evil. Uh, that's God's word, right? And God does not have to explain, you know, real elaborately all of his commands. It's just a plain and simple command. Uh, we need to take the lordship of Christ seriously in our life, uh, that Christ forbids us from taking personal revenge, this means that every bitter act has to stop right away, just as the first step. Uh, we need to stop slamming the door. Uh, we need to stop throwing things. We need to stop punching walls, uh, driving away furious, things like that, that all needs to be put away. Uh, bitter words need to cease as well. Uh, you're the worst such and such I ever had or anyone could have. I'm sorry I ever knew you. We need to have none of that. But perhaps the most challenging one is that we need to get rid of our bitter thoughts. Right? And isn't that where all these actions come from? Right? We do all those things is because we have trained our heart for weeks and months and years in bitterness. And so now while, when there's a, a provocation, of course this bitterness is going to erupt out of us. And that's really where the fight is. And I would encourage you with that. If you are wrestling with this, that the fight is really in your heart. The fight is really it, when you find yourself musing on your hurts uh, late at night uh, in time when you have time alone. Uh, these things, one day I'll have my revenge or, or all, all thoughts like that, they all need to be uh, eradicated and replaced by godly thoughts. 
Every toleration of bitterness, just to summarize, is, is, is an act of defiance against Christ. I think that it's helpful to think, think of it like that. It's not just, it's not permitted. Um, it's not godly. It's not righteous. It's not justified, right? When we meditate on our hurts and become bitter, that's an active act of defiance against Christ, especially now that we know that this is a duty, okay? Now we know this is a responsibility. We can take that seriously. But second of all, the Bible tells us to think. So in that moment, we are tempted to behave like an animal that's been stepped on or that's being attacked and just immediately respond out of instinct. But the Bible would say, stop and and think about what you're going to do for a minute. Consider, for example, consider that there's only one judge in the universe. There's only one judge in the universe, and that's God. And he sits in heaven. We can't repay anyone evil for evil just from ourselves because we're not the judge. God does not expect us to seek justice at the personal level. He, he tells us that he will take care of that, that all debts will be paid, all criminals will eventually be searched out and arrested and punished appropriately and perfectly, right? So when we punish, when we seek another's punishment, it, it is far beyond justice, as we've said, but God is, is perfect. He never overextends the bounds of justice. He he always seeks perfect justice for every crime. And so we can, we can relax in, in some extent. We can relax from that, from that real strong desire we have to see justice done immediately. Joseph, remember Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he lost years of his life. He was a slave in Egypt. Uh, His brothers tried to murder him, but at the last minute, one of them said, oh, let's just sell him. And so he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And when, uh, to make a long story short, they reconciled and and the brothers and their father ended up moving to Egypt and he took care of them because he actually became quite prominent in Egypt. God had blessed him there. When the father, Jacob, finally died, the brothers got together and said, oh, no. Maybe he was just forgiving us and being kind while our father was alive. But now that he's dead, now we're going to get it. Now we're going to get it. And they came to him and said, oh, please, Joseph, don't uh, don't, uh, treat us harshly. Don't pay us back for what we did to you. We're sorry. And your dad, he wanted you to forgive us. And what does Joseph say? He says, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Am I in God's place, is what he said. So it's not that these brothers didn't deserve anything for their sin, but he said, I'm not in God's place. I'm here to love you. I'm here to take care of you. And that's what he did. He took care of them. He literally fed them and gave them a place to live for the rest of their lives and and their children as well. And that's how Joseph responded in that case. Remember David also. Uh, David was anointed king, but what we sometimes forget is there was this real long period between when he was anointed king and when he became king. And for years, this guy Saul, the previous king, chased him all over Israel and even outside of Israel trying to kill him, trying to kill David. And David had done nothing wrong. Uh, on the other hand, he had, he had done everything right. He had sought the well-being of this man. He had fought for him. 
He had spoken well of him. Uh, He had done all these things for him, and yet Saul was so bitter and jealous toward David that he couldn't stand there to be this hero running around. He needed to be the hero. And so he chased David around multiple times trying to murder him uh, with his army. And so one day David found himself uh, with the upper hand. He had an opportunity to kill Saul, uh, but he, he did not do that. And what did he say? He said to Saul, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So the same, the same response as Joseph. He didn't say, well, it's all right. It's no big deal. No, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal what Saul was doing to David. It was real suffering. But what did David say? He said, there is a judge in heaven. I'm trusting that the judge is in heaven and that he will decide between me and you. And so now I am free. I am free to just serve you. My hand will not be against you. Paul was the same way. At the very end of his life, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he told Timothy that this man Alexander showed me much harm. But what did he say? He said, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So again, a consistent response by godly believers in Scripture. This is, this is the response. We, we first of all stop out of obedience to Christ, but then we remember, okay, there is a judge in heaven. This act of, this temptation to be, uh, to take revenge, uh, I can put that away because this will happen. Justice will be served one day. And God says this very explicitly. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay And you can picture that. Picture your enemy, the person who has most wounded you, one day appearing before God. One day having to answer for his crimes against you or her crimes against you. That will happen. Unless that believer is in Christ, that will happen one day. God will summon him or her to appear before him. And the books will be opened, the scripture says. And then that person will be held accountable for every single thought, word, and action of evil they committed against you. That will happen. And so we need to remember that. We need to remember that God alone is the judge of evil. But second, we need to remember that we received mercy. And so we can't be like this. We can't be uh, like the rest of the world that we just get turned into vigilantes when we're wronged. And that's, that's how our culture responds. That's how unbelievers respond to hurts. They think it's noble, right, to, to put on a cape and to start paying back evildoers personally. Uh, that's all sorts of action movies and novels and stories glorifies this kind of thing. Uh, we're trained at an at a early age to, to see revenge as a good thing. Uh, but, but you do not want to be like that. Okay, why? Why is it that a Christian of all people should be so averse to that kind of attitude where we're just, we constantly want the law to be, to be thrown at someone to the limit. We want them to receive immediately what they deserve for their actions. Why, why would the Christian be 
be different than that? Why should that be concerning if a Christian finds himself or herself thinking that way? Well, remember that we receive mercy. Okay, so we need to remember we were there. We were there before God's throne, right? We were there with our long list of of sins against God. Uh, We had people in our lives in the past that, that felt that way toward us, likely, where they wanted us to receive judgment and immediate justice. And so let me ask you, do you want to see your enemy writhing in pain? Uh, Do you want to see him suffer? Uh, Do you, would you want to be there on the day that he's standing before God answering for his sin? Would you be there cheering cheering him on, right? Cheering God on, yeah, throw him into hell. That's what I would love most of all. Many people would, would want that. But we need to remember that we have received mercy and that also we have offended God far more by our sin than our enemy has offended us. Okay, Scripture teaches that very clearly by way of parable and also by explicit teaching is that our own personal sin before God, even if we think, well, I'm just a nice person, I'm just a moral person, I just discovered God later in life, uh, the Scripture will not permit you to think of yourself that way. That, that living a thankless life, even though you've never committed murder or these atrocious acts of evil you may read about in the news, that your sin is far more serious before God then your enemies sin against you. Why? Well, they've sinned against a creature. They've sinned against another sinner. But our sin, right, it's before God. Uh, we sinned not against just a creature, but against the deity himself. We've sinned against infinite mercy, infinite grace, infinite goodness. God has never done anything wrong toward us at all. I mean, you would think, wouldn't you... You would think that it was a horrible act of evil to take the life of an innocent old woman. But, but it's far worse what we have done to God. We, we have lived a thankless life before God. And before we came to Christ, we deserved, we deserved punishment, right? We all deserve, I hate to break it to you, we all deserve to be in hell right now, right now. And we're not. Right? We have received mercy from God. Uh, we've received mercy from Christ. And that was so costly for God to provide that for us. The scripture says that God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't die once we reformed our life. He didn't die once he saw, oh, look at all these great people that are Uh, that are so good, I will die now for their sin because I know they'll accept me. No. Uh, People that were actively opposed to Christ became Christians. So when he died, uh, people hated him. Uh, The Apostle Paul was alive at that time and an enemy of the early church. Well, Christ died for Paul while he was still that wretched man. And that's the same with us. How did Christ respond toward us? Did did he seek our immediate justice and condemnation? Uh, No, he he sought our salvation, and he sought to bring us into fellowship with him and with his Father. 
right? And so if, if we find ourselves, if you find yourself in this position of bitterness, seeking revenge, it's likely that you have, you have wandered far away from the cross, that we're, it's been a long time since we've really thought about the cross and what that meant. And I would argue that, that even if you forget all these commands in Scripture, and there's quite a few of them, if you would just live in constant awareness of, of the cross and what Christ did for you, that you would often do the right thing. If you often considered what he did, how he suffered for us and bore our sin and repaid us good for our evil, uh, you would often do the right thing and you would often respond in the right way in those moments of temptation. Right? Paul said, when we revile, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to plead. So that's, that's the spirit of a Christian, a gracious spirit. Someone slanders you, what do you do? You don't slander them back, right? You, you go directly to them. You try to plead with them. You try to get, bring peace with them. Uh, you try to make peace with them. That's the spirit that we need to have as Christians. We need to have a gracious spirit in the face of evil. But then third, the third command is that we need to actively pursue good for the evildoer. So again, we're not, we're not given this free pass. Just run as far as you can off into the distance. Just move to the other end of the world, the other end of the universe. Just say, okay, well, I'm not going to take revenge, but I'm done. I'm so done. We can't do that, right? Look, what does the passage say? It says, always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Kind of hard to get out of that one, huh? All people, always. And you may be asking, yeah, but my situation is, is more serious than what you're saying. Well, this text doesn't have any loopholes. We love doing that, don't we? Uh, the Pharisees love doing that too. All these loopholes. Yeah, we love God's law, but there's like 30 loopholes for every commandment. So I can conveniently slip out of one when I want. But God commands us, he commands his people to actively seek good for one another. The word seek here in our text is a very strong word. It's actually the same word for persecute. Okay, it's the same word God uses for, uh, to describe a, uh, the enemies of the early church persecuting them, chasing them out of town. It's the same word. So we... We need to have a, a zeal. Uh, we need to have an energy in us that, that's not a revengeful, a vengeful spirit, a vengeful energy, but the opposite. So, so the proper response is not to just wilt like a flower, okay? It's to, it's to get up and get moving. It's to actively and vigorously pursue the highest good for our enemies. This would involve us planning, so we don't just leave it to the moment. Oh, I'm going to, oh, you're yelling at me again. Oh, let me try to think. Uh, in the moment, some good, good deed I can do. No, this is premeditated, pre-planned. Uh, the same level of zeal that people have for their careers or their physical fitness or their health, how they obsess over all these things. We're to be obsessed with the good of our enemies at all times. You could begin with just basic things. The scripture says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Okay, so if you have this, this horrible husband, I mean, what can you do? Well, you can just start by making a good meal. I mean, that literally is in Scripture. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
Okay, we can start there. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So basic needs. Maybe you have an older relative that, that it treats you like garbage, uh, but they, they still have these physical needs and they can't really get along by themselves. Well, uh, take them to doctor's appointments. Um, see that they have the care that they need. Provide that care yourself. If you have difficult children, uh, the same thing. Just seek that which is the highest good for the person doing evil against you. That begins with basic needs, but also consider eternity as well. It, not just little, little things. Begin small, I would say, but also think about their soul. Right? Think about their soul. How can you seek the highest good for that person's soul? How, how can you bring the gospel into their life in a way that they may listen to it? And they may not always be willing to listen to that from you if they consider you their enemy, in a sense. But we can, we can plan for that. In other words, you have an enemy. Imagine, imagine that that was your dearest friend. How would you greet them when they walked in the door? How would you greet your dearest friend when they walked in the door? Oh, it's good to see you. And then they insult you and say all this nasty stuff at you. And you just take it. You just take it and say, well, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And um, I'm happy to be here to, to serve you. That will just be shocking to them to encounter that. You'll be one of the, probably the only person in their life that behaves that way. And, and that, will, that will really give them an opportunity to consider themselves Often it's more convicting for, for someone like that, for an evildoer, to be confronted by that kind of person, that kind of spirit, than it is to be just lampooned, right? Just to be confronted directly. Well, you're being so nasty to me right now. You're insulting me right now. It's often more convicting for them to see you humbly serving them and loving them. Often that, that will drive the knife of conviction far deeper into their heart than just shouting at them and confronting their sin. And so this will be hard. It will be a fight. Uh, it will be a fight to do this. And we struggle with that. We struggle because we, we, we think that this is forever. Oh, no, I'm in this situation, and I can't do it anymore. I can't live like this. Uh, we often forget how temporary life is. It's very temporary. Life will be over before you know You'll be at the end of your life one day, even if you live to old age, and you'll think, that wasn't a lot of time. That wasn't a whole lot of time. Uh, this will end one day. One day you won't have any enemies. So all this that we're talking about, it's all this temporary sliver of time in comparison to, to eternity. Right? We can bear injuries by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll greatly suffer in our relationships, but the Spirit says that one day we'll rest from our labor. We'll rest from that. It will be a labor, but there is rest for that. One day our enemies, those who vex us and insult us and are just a constant uh, pain, frankly, in our lives, one day they'll be gone. They'll vanish. It won't always be like this. And we'll enter into rest with Christ in a perfect world. So let's pray now for God to, to help us do these things. Our God, we pray for, for your help to love our enemies. 
Uh, it is a, a high thing to do this. It's a, a natural thing. Uh, the world says to crucify our enemies and to, to kill our enemies and to get back at them and to abandon them. Uh, but we see the clear commands in Scripture that you command us to love them. But you know our weakness. You know we are so weak to do this. And often when the, we come to that moment of crisis, we fail. And there are bitter words. There are bitter thoughts and bitter actions. We pray that you would forgive us uh, for, for forgetting the mercy that you showed to us. Uh, we pray that you would forgive us for giving in to that spirit of revenge. Uh, we also pray for wisdom uh, as we all find ourselves in different situations uh, with different family members, different children, different co-workers, and etc. Uh, we all have a different situation where this needs to be applied. Uh, doing good to our enemies looks different to each one of us. So please give us all wisdom to do good to those around us, especially to those who who sin against us. We also pray uh, that you would fulfill that, that psalm we just read, Psalm 23, that you would be our shepherd, uh, that you would provide us with strength and endurance in those moments uh, when we are tempted. Uh, we pray for self-control in those moments when we do have that feeling, we have that urge to seek revenge, but please give us enough self-control to just uh, put that away, uh, and at least uh, give ourselves time to think before we respond in any way. Uh, give us also a compassionate heart uh, toward our enemies. Uh, we pray that we'd have a spirit of compassion uh, toward the people that do evil in the world, and we do want justice to be done. We want justice to be served, uh, but at the same time, uh, we are we are compelled to also pray for their salvation. So we do pray that you would save the evildoers in our lives, whether a family member or someone else. We pray that you would have mercy on them and that it would not be like this, that our relationship could be sweet and one between uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and not between enemies. Uh, I also pray for all the saints here that they would encourage each other uh, in these situations as well. And they would not go through this alone, uh, but seek help and support from their friends. And we pray that you would lead us in this week and enable us to serve you with joy. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.